0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are so glad that you're here. So when I started college, I had no idea uh, what I was going to major in. Uh, My goal up from the time I was 13 was to be a uh, rock star by the time I was 20. And so I started college and didn't think they were offering a bachelor's degree in heavy metal. So I had to think of something else. So I went to see a guidance counselor and they took me into the library and they uh, there was a bunch of computers there. And they said, look, we want you to take this test. This is really gonna help you. So the test was supposed to reveal once it started kind of showing, uh, they said that this was gonna reveal with what they believed was 99 0.9% accuracy what I should devote my life to. Now, a couple of things you need to know about me was that I was not really a very good student uh, in high school. Uh, I didn't do very well. I, I was on, people asked me about high school. I was on the five-year plan in uh, in high school when people have said, hey, you know, what was it like being a senior? Uh, and I, I told them, best two years of my life. And so anyway, uh, so because what happened was is that I took algebra in the ninth grade and failed it, and then I took algebra again in the 10th ni- grade with, uh, I took geometry also, and I failed algebra again, and I failed geometry. So they started getting concerned. So they, they actually, I had, to, I had like no math credit, so they ended up putting me in uh, two math classes in my junior year. Uh, they put me in a, in a Class called math, which, if I remember correctly, I think we just like went through like what the numbers were, uh, that, and then they, they put me in this other class called consumer math, uh, which was where they put all the mutants that can't do algebra. And so it was pretty much the most basic math you could do, and it still be legal. So we went through an entire week. I want you to think about this. I mean, we went through an entire week of learning how to write a check. So if you know how to write a check, you probably took you, you know. Someone taught you, took you two, three minutes to learn. Maybe you were by yourself, and it was like, wow, it took me like seven or eight minutes to learn. We spent an hour a day for five days. Every, every day we'd get this packet that it was just like all these pages, and it had all these checks on it. And, and, the, and the mutants that were in this class, I mean, they were just so confused. Because it would say date, and they'd be like, yes, I'd love a date, you know. And then uh, there's the part where, you know, then where your signature would go that it said sign with a line and people were writing like Capricorn and all. Anyway, it was crazy. And so anyway, back. So back to my test, I take the test. And, uh, you know, and then I hit the last button, hit enter, and then it was connected to a dot matrix printer, if you remember those, that you had to line up the paper uh, on the little, you know, that little wheel spindle, and it's like, you watch the words forming. So anyway, it pulls it out. I ripped the thing off, and it said with 99.9% accuracy that I should become a mathematician. (laughs) So (laughs) I questioned the validity of that test. And uh, now, once again, it's frustrating, and I think all of us have experienced something like that to a degree, that we've wanted to know what the future holds, to get some kind of direction as to what we should, uh, what uh, the next steps in our lives should be, and and this just didn't do it. And and the challenge is not just knowing what the next step is, but knowing what the next step is and when to take it. Because all of us would recognize that it's not just knowing uh, the what, it's knowing the when, because... Uh, you know, we've learned that, that timing is everything, right? Timing is the difference between a foul ball and a home run. Uh, timing is the difference between something being funny or not funny. Drew, if you're married, you know this, that timing is the difference between a fight with your spouse and harmony in your home. And if you don't believe me, uh, check, try this. Next time you and your wife are going to go out on a date, she gets all dressed up and she says, do I look pretty? I want you to just pause for 30 seconds. And uh, right, that's not going to go well. And and just you know, anyway, counselors are standing by. So, uh, so last week we started this brand new series of teachings, which I've been super excited about. Uh, that we're calling the Beginner's Guide to the End of the World, and we're talking about Bible prophecy. And I am absolutely convinced, and one of the reasons why we've talked about Bible prophecy so much over the almost 20 years at Calvary is because I'm convinced that Bible prophecy is something that we should not be confused or lacking in understanding about because it not just fuels our faith, it's part of what makes our faith unique. That more than one quarter of the Bible is predictive prophecy, which is, which is once again, a huge chunk, uh, and that no other religion or uh, belief system makes predictive prophecy like we see in the Bible. The biblical prophets are specific, predicting events that no one else could see. And if they predict events with a level of specificity, that also means that prophecy has the ability to be proven false because something is either going to happen or not going to happen, but you can't just explain it away. And so I want to build a foundation in this series that I believe really will serve you for a lifetime. And so uh, if you were with us last time or you weren't, we talked about, how Israel is the key to Bible prophecy, that Israel existed as a nation, then ceased to exist for the better part of 1,900 years, and then came back into existence in May 14th of 1948. And so because Bible prophecy speaks of Israel as a nation, Israel's reemergence as a nation is a huge fulfillment, a powerful fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And so today we're going to talk about what is probably my favorite prophecy in the Bible, not just because it's so precise and interesting, but because it really outlines all of God's plan. It's the cliff notes. If you're like, well, I mean, what is God going to do? This is really the cliff notes for what God is going to accomplish and the timetable by which he's going to do it. Now, it's fine in, in Daniel chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can open there. If you have your notes, uh, we'll be going through there. But uh, Daniel chapter 9 opens with a godly man, a godly older man, who's praying for God's timing, praying. For what the future holds for him and for his nation. And so before we get started, let me set the scene for you. Because sometimes when we think of Israel, we think of Israel as as like one nation kind of throughout history. And and, and that was the case until about 931 B.C. Uh, David united the nation. Solomon expanded the nation Uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam divided the nation. And that was in 931 when Israel split into becoming two countries. There was a bit of a civil war. Ten of the 12 tribes of Israel went to the north and formed what was called Israel. Samaria was its capital. Judah and Benjamin, the the final two tribes, formed what was called uh, the nation of the southern kingdom of Judah with Jerusalem as its capital. About 200 years later, in 722 B.C., A group of people called the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire came and carried the northern kingdom away captive, conquered the northern kingdom, and they were gone. Then about 100 years later, a touch more than 100 years later, in 616 BC, a man by the name of Nabopolassar, who is the king of Babylon, conquers the Assyrians. That's how powerful the Babylonians were. Then about 10 years later in 606 BC, Nabopolassar's son, who is the Babylonian general, uh, his name happens to be Nebuchadnezzar, he comes and lays siege to Jerusalem. He shows up, destroys the wall of Jerusalem. He uh, takes all the royalty, the smartest, most talented people. This is when a 15-year-old kid named Daniel and his friends are taken to Babylon as well. Then Nebuchadnezzar does something kind of interesting, and that is he sets up this vassal king or a puppet king and then returns home. And there's this, uh, people wonder why that happened. Why didn't Nebuchadnezzar just destroy Judah in 606 B.C.? Uh, When lockdown ends and everything goes back to normal, if you ever take a trip to London, you should go to the British Museum. And in the British Museum, they have these columns that are the Babylonian Chronicles. And in the Babylonian Chronicles, it tells us that while he was besieging the city of Jerusalem, in the southern kingdom of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar got word that his father Nabopolassar had died, and that he needed to return home to, ba- the, to the capital city of Babylon to be crowned king. And so that gave Judah the opportunity to get their act together, turn back to God, which they didn't. Instead, they tried to overthrow Babylon. And after two failed rebellions, Nebuchadnezzar he comes back after the first rebellion in 596 um, BC, 597 BC. Pardon me that doesn't work, Uh, and and he wipes them out, and then sets up another vassal king, and then in 586 BC, he comes in, wipes out Jerusalem, carries off most of the people, and Babylon goes, and uh, Israel goes into captivity for uh, 70 years, and that's where we pick up the story, because the 70 years now are about over, and so Daniel is praying and asking God, what's the next step? what's going to happen now? And so at the beginning of Daniel 9, we actually get the prayer that he prays. And we see this at the beginning. In the first year of his reign, uh, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that would accomplish the 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So he's praying that God would give him some insight into what is going to happen next. And at this point in time, is when Daniel is given what could be the greatest uh, prophecy in, in the Bible. And That's where we're going to start in verse 20 of Daniel 9. Here's what we read. He says, Now while I was praying, speaking, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, Uh, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, which, by the way, is 3 p.m., and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things I want to show you in our time together. The first is this, is that this is the outline of God's prophetic program. Remember, Daniel is thinking in terms of 70 years. He's thinking what's now, the 70 years are almost up, the captivity is almost up. What Daniel gets is totally mind-blowing, and that is uh, God is going to show Daniel the big picture of not just how he's going to rescue the Jewish people, but how he's going to rescue all of humanity. And it starts with understanding uh, one Hebrew word that we see in verse 24. Now, there are uh, words that we have in English, and it's so basic, but there are words that we have in English that we understand intuitively uh, represent a sum of numbers. So if we talk about a dozen, we know it means 12. If we talk about a decade, we know it means 10. Well, uh, Hebrew has a similar thing, except in in Hebrew, people always think in terms of sevens. And so when it says 70 weeks, uh, you'll see that in verse 24, that is uh, the Hebrew word shabuah. S-H-A-B-U-A. And a Shabuah is a week of years or seven years. And that was this idea of things operating in sevens was built into Israel's culture. Uh, everything operated in terms of seven. You would work six days, and then you would have the seventh day uh, as the Sabbath. It was it was your day of rest. And so not only did that work over the course of a week, it worked over the course of years. So six years you would work, and then the seventh year you would give the land rest. And then after a group of seven-year seven periods. So after 49 years, on the 50th year, there would be this huge celebration the entire year that was called the Jubilee. Everybody got the year off. All debts were canceled. Uh, land that was sold went back to its original owner in the Jubilee so that what God had given to each of Israel's tribes would stay intact. And, uh, you know, you can imagine, you know, your mortgage company calling, like, hey, we didn't get the payment. Like, which Jubilee, baby? we're done. I don't even need Dave Ramsey to pay off Amex because it is down to zero because it's Jubilee. And so now the, uh, the thing that's important though, and, and I just want to, I mentioned it, but I want to highlight it again. And that is, remember every seventh year they would work six days, get the seventh day off. They would work six years and then they would give the land the seventh year off. And that was a way to revitalize the land. And God's promise was on the sixth year, I'm going to give you a bumper crop so that you can give the land the year off on the seventh year. Well, they never took the seventh year off. They never gave the land the seventh year off. So when they're going to go into captivity, God says uh, they had been in the land now for quite some time. And he says, you know, you owe the land 70 years of rest. So that's how long your captivity is going to be. In fact, we'll see it in Second Chronicles when we're told uh, it says, and he carried into as he uh, Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him, Nebuchadnezzar and his successors, until the kingdom of Persia came to power, and the land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the seventy years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So. The angel Gabriel shows up and tells Daniel that this is the timetable for not just Israel, but for humanity, this, this, this epic rescue plan that God has. But he says in verse 24 that 70 weeks, that is 77-year periods, or 490 years for you math majors, um, are determined for your people, that is the Jews, for your holy city, that is Jerusalem. And that within these 490 years, the plan of redemption is going to happen. Now, you've got to understand something. He talks about, in verse 24, uh, at the, he, he talks about six things. He says, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. That we all saw fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. There's three other things that are mentioned where he says to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. These are things that we see happen then in the second coming of Jesus. And so the question is, okay, if 77s are determined, that's 490 years, when does the clock start? And that's what we see happen uh, in verse 25. If you'll check it out in your notes or in your Bible, it says this. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And remember, those weeks are weeks of years. Um, The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. The second thing I want you to note is that this is the arrival date of the Messiah, now, and I know that it's a little tricky because it's kind of a word problem, and I don't know if how that worked when I, I hated word problems when I was in school. You know, it's like Joe was two years, two years older than Cabencita, his sister, and Cabencita is half the age of her mom. How old is her dad? Like, I don't know. I don't even know his dad. How do I know that they were married? You know what I mean? So, and so now, so here's how the, the word problem goes He says, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, Right there. We actually don't have to guess when that was because we know not only from the Bible but from secular history what day that took place. That King Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem on March 14th, 445 BC. That's according to the, uh, the angel here that tells Daniel, that's when the clock starts. Now, the clock starts and he says that it will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So seven weeks would be seven, seven year period. So seven times seven is 49. And then 62 weeks, and that is uh, six, 62. So you have 483 years altogether. So it's the 434 plus the 49. And those of you that got your calculator out, you're the, you're the smartest ones among us. But, but it's way cool. You got, the other thing you got to understand, all right? So it's 483 years. From the going forth From the beginning of the command to restore and and, and build Jerusalem all the way to Messiah, the prince. So, but you got to also, now there's another thing that I want you to note. And that is that, remember, we operate on a 365 and a quarter day calendar. Jews did not. Jews operated on a 360 day lunar calendar. So that's why if you want to be super precise, you don't do it in years. You do it by days. And, um, So you take the 483 years and you multiply it by 360 days. Let me just do the math. No, I already wrote it down. I know what it is. So it's 173,880 days. Now, once again, this is what's even cooler. So you you start at March 14th, 445 B.C., and you go 173,880 days, and you land on April 6th, 32 A.D., So the question is, what happened on April 6, 32 AD? Well, before I tell you that, i got to ask you a question. So, uh, you ever notice that when Jesus began his ministry, Jesus would heal someone? And he always had this kind of odd thing that he would say. He would heal someone, and then he would say what? He'd say, hey, don't tell anybody. And then the next verse says, and then they went out and they told everybody, right? Like, like totally not, like the guy just healed you, maybe you should do what he says. But no, they told everybody. And then uh, Jesus is at a wedding with his, with his disciples, and his mom is there. They run out of wine, the, 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 the family, and he says, hey, why don't you do something? And what does he say? It's not my time. But then something shifts. Something shifts as we get closer to this thing that we call Palm Sunday, is that Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I want you to go into the city. I want you to talk to this guy. There's this donkey there. And when somebody says, hey, what do you want, what do you want to do with that donkey? He says, hey, the Lord has need of it. It's like Jesus has planned all of this. And then he then starts, this amazing thing happens on April 6, 32 AD. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. And everybody's there. Everybody's, there's like all these people there laying their palm branches down. All these people shouting Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word that means save us now. And Jesus isn't telling anybody, don't say it, keep it to yourself. No, he's receiving it because this is the moment that he's proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, and as they're laying their palm branches down, as they're saying Hosanna, they're quoting Psalm 118, verse 24, and some of you know the verse, that it says, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, let me tell you what, how, what we tend to do here in 21st century America, is that we tend to post that verse on social media on Mondays, because it's like, man, this is tough, but you know, this is the day the Lord has made, like, it ain't talking about Monday when you're tired, Okay? That verse is talking about a specific day because Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. It's referring to the coming of the Messiah, that the day the Messiah presents himself to Israel, that's the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And so once again, from the moment that the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, 173,880 days from then will be Messiah the Prince. And here's one of the ways you know that Jesus is the Messiah. You ready for this? Nobody else showed up that day. Right? Because if you showed up a day later, or a week later, or a year later, it's like, I'm sorry, dude. Like, it's just time ran out. It's like, that offer expired. You know, like, there was supposed to be, you know, there wasn't 12 people who showed up. One person showed up. And the people knew. The people knew. That's why they were there in the first place. Now, but like a stopwatch, because they're like, all right, that's, that's 483, right? That's 69 of the 70 weeks. What about the 70th week? But just like a stopwatch, right? Uh, you, you turn it on and then you stop it. And now you're just waiting until the moment when you turn on the stopwatch again. And now this triggers uh, what's going to happen in the future, which is the last seven-year period that we'll talk about in a moment. And you'll see it up on the screen. Verse, uh, Daniel 9, verse 26. It says, The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come uh, like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That is one seven-year period. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at, and at the temple, he will cause an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, uh, third in your notes, if you're a note taker, and that is that this is the most famous period in Bible prophecy. What we're talking about, what is, it's, it goes by several names, but this period, this seven-year period of time, probably the most famous name it goes by is the Great Tribulation, is there is more written about this period of time More is chronicled about this period in the Bible than when Jesus walked the shores of Galilee or taught in the city of Jerusalem. Now, the last part of verse 26 talks about the people of the prince who is to come destroying the city and the sanctuary. The city being Jerusalem, the sanctuary being the temple. So once again, we're trying to follow a consistency here when he says that uh, all the way in verse 24 that the prophecy is for your people and your holy city. Your people is the Jews, your holy city is Jerusalem. When he says they're destroying the city and the sanctuary, that's Jerusalem and the temple. So who is that? The people of the prince who is to come. That is, the Romans are the ones who came in in 70 AD and destroyed the temple. And if you were not here last week, we talked about that in pretty good detail about uh, Titus Vespasian and the Roman 10th Legion coming in in 70 AD after about a four-year siege in this rebellion that took place. If you missed it, go back and check it out. Um, but that, so let, let's connect a little bit about what's happening here. Is that he says that the people of the prince who is to come, that they're going to destroy uh, the city and the sanctuary, at the end will be as a flood. And then he says that he will confirm a, a week. And that is this now, this last week, what is uh, unique about it is that there is going to be this coming world leader, and he goes by 33 different names in, uh, the, in the Bible. He goes by 33 different names, the most famous, of course, being Antichrist. And according to this passage, according to Daniel chapter 2, we see that he arises from what was the Roman Empire. Now, if you learned this in school or somewhere else, you're like, didn't the Roman Empire fall in like the 5th century? And the answer is, kind of. And that is that the Roman Empire was split between East and West. The Western half of the Roman Empire fell in 476 to the Visigoths, and uh, that with the capital city of Rome falling. However, the Eastern half of the Roman Empire lasted for more than a thousand years after the fall of uh, the capital city of Rome, because in the Eastern half, what was called the Byzantine Empire, um, Constantinople was its capital. Now, if you look at a lot of these nations, even today, they are still um, connected. M- most of them connected through their hatred of Israel, uh, connected through other means. Many of them are Muslim countries. But this final world leader, through whatever way, either he builds a coalition or people uh, through treaty or whatever, but he makes a, this, this, uh, this peace agreement. He confirms a covenant with many, including Israel, for one week, seven years. In the middle of it, he breaks the treaty and stops the offerings from taking place. And it says in verse 27 that he brings an end to sacrifice and offering. And you can, in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, you can actually read about that uh, in, in great detail. Now, there's a couple of things that's important for us to note. It says he's going to put an end to offerings. That means that there is a third temple that will be built in Jerusalem. So there was the original temple that Solomon built. There was the rebuilding of the temple when they came back after captivity that later was um, built. Uh, aggrandized, I should say, by Herod. That was the second temple. And there will be a third temple that is rebuilt. If you come with us to Israel, we'll actually go to the uh, what's called the Temple Institute. And these guys are ready to go. They have built everything according to specifications. They are training priests right now to serve in the third temple. Anyway, a lot more can be said about that. Um, but then... Uh, There's something that's done. Once again, he's going to bring an end to offering and sacrifice. So there's something that's done to desecrate the temple. In fact, Jesus refers to it in Matthew 24 when he says it this way. He says, So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through Daniel the prophet, and then here's Matthew's little um, uh, thing that he adds, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So, To kind of explain this, let me give you a a quick little history lesson. In 167 AD, or 167 BC, which by the way, all good stories start out just like that. In 167 BC, there was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes who conquered Jerusalem and made the practicing of Judaism illegal in Israel. He confiscated all Jewish money. He forbid the teaching of the Torah. And in his worst act, he defiled the temple by setting up an idol and then sacrificing a pig inside of the temple. Uh, Antiochus exalted himself um, against God. He even had coins minted that said uh, "Antiochus Theos Epiphanes" or "Antiochus the God made manifest." And um, by the way, the there was an uprising. Uh, that took place with, uh, within the Jewish community, uh, a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus. And um, that whole, I don't have no time to get into that whole story, but all of that is connected to why Jews celebrate Hanukkah. It's a wonderful story, and I promise we'll talk about it sometime. But uh, it's a great story. Anyway, but this is a picture of what's going to happen when Antichrist does the same thing. Three and a half years into this agreement, this covenant that he makes... He walks into the temple, offers some kind of sacrifice that defiles the temple, and he reveals himself for who he really is. And when things get really bad for Israel, when that happens, Jesus says, run. And this is, this, uh, if you're interested in this seven-year period and details of it, uh, the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19. And if you can find the series that we've done on Revelation, we covered that in great detail. But once that seven-year period is over, in uh, chapter 19, Jesus comes back on a white horse and all of God's people with him on horses as well. And that includes you and me. And you might say, I don't know how to ride a horse. Don't worry, you will learn, all right? Now, (laughs) so that's the prophetic outline, and it centers around Israel. This is why so many people get Bible prophecy all mixed up, is because they don't understand the church, and they don't understand Israel. And so, because they can't, they, they mix the two, it, it gets very, very complicated. The 70 weeks have to do with Israel and God's plan for Israel. And so, we are, the 69 weeks are completed, and they were when the Messiah was cut off, but not for himself. And that term cut off means suffer the death penalty, as we, as we read a moment ago. After Jesus' death and resurrection was the beginning of the church age. And the church has been. Um, the center stage in God's plan and what he's doing around the world. And there will become a point when that plan, God's plan for the church is done. He's going to take the church out. And when he takes the church out of this world, that's when the 70th week will begin. So what does that mean for us? Like that sounds very interesting. But uh, what, this last week, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make it through this week. So how does that work? So let me tell you three things that I think are important for us. That is, so here's number one, and that is that we aren't looking for antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Here's where Christians get nervous. They read, hear about tribulation and all this kind of stuff, and they think that, man, we're going to go through the tribulation as Christians. We should be stockpiling. And if you're Cuban, you're already trying to factor in how many thousands of cans of Vienna sausages you can fit in your garage. And it's like, how, you know, how can we do this? And, um, and so now, what we're going to do next week is that we're going to look at God's plan for the church. And when the church age is over, there's this incredible event that the Bible talks about that's called the rapture of the church, where God takes his church up so that then he can focus his attention on the nation of Israel and a world that has rejected him. Now, Um, if we don't understand that, if we don't understand the major players, we will never understand the story of what God's doing, and it will get very, very complicated. And we won't really... It's kind of like what happened a few years ago. I I led a small group here at Calvary uh, for college students. And it was amazing to me about how many of these college students had never seen Star Wars. Um, And not only that, it was amazing to me how they didn't even understand what Star Wars was about. And so they were asking me these questions about the plot. And they're like, well, what's it about? And like, oh, I know, there's like a hairy guy. And I'm like, yeah, it's Chewbacca. And they're like, oh, and then who are the robots? And I'm like, first of all, they're not called robots. They're called droids, thank you very much. And uh, that's R2 and 3PO. And, And they're like, oh. And then one of the guys is like, oh, wait, I think I saw that movie as if it's just one. And he's like, I saw It's like the two robots, they fly around in a spaceship, and they get into trouble. It's like, first of all, that is like the worst movie plot of all time. Two robots flying around, getting into trouble. And, and, and now here's the thing. If you don't understand that all the movies are about Anakin Skywalker, then you don't understand the movies, right? That Anakin Skywalker is this, this you know, amazing young Jedi Falls prey to the dark side, becomes Darth Vader. His son Luke rescues him, brings him back. By the way, spoiler alert, but you've had 40 years, so (laughs) anyway. Um, But here's the thing. So, my point is this if we don't understand who the players are, we're never going to understand the overarching story. Our focus is Jesus prophetically, and he's our focus daily. And focusing on anything other than Jesus, listen, is a recipe. For disaster. That's the first thing I want you to know. The second thing I want you to know is this, is that God wants to do more than you ask. Here's the thing. Daniel was praying, and here's what he wanted to know. He's saying, God, I just want to know what, what what's, the 70 years are almost up. So what's next? And God decides to give him way more than he asked for. He says, not just, it's not just about the 70 years. It's about what's going to happen for the rest of time. Daniel was a guy who prayed expectantly because he believed ultimately that God was good and that God would answer. So at our house, uh, we've been watching Doctor Who lately. I don't know if there are any Doctor Who fans um, in here. Uh, but Carrie and I have been watching Doctor Who for years. But we just got our kids. So uh, over the last couple of months, we've started from, the, from uh, season one of the reboots, and we started watching... Uh, doctor Who, so we're like season seven or something. And um, my, my kids love Doctor Who. We love Doctor Who. And um, so he and inv- my son, Xander, who's 11, he invested in, uh, he bought this little bobblehead of the 10th Doctor. Now, a little, this is way more information than you want, but this just kind of makes the story understandable. Um, it's not the same actor who plays the Doctor. In fact, over the years, now there have been 13 different Doctors. And the way they did it early on is that the very first Doctor um, this is like in the 60s, he got sick, and so they had to come up with a storyline. So they came up with a storyline that he regenerated into something else, and uh, he regenerates into another person, like another version of himself. And so, so that's what they do, and that's how they change out uh, the doctor. is. So every time one of these actors starts giving them any lip, they're like, you know what, we're regenerating you, you're done. So there's like no job security when you're the doctor, right? So that's how that works. Uh, so anyway, so what happens is is that he gets the 10th doctor, but... Xander's favorite doctor is the 11th doctor, which happens to be my favorite doctor as well. But the bobblehead for the 11th doctor, I have the bobblehead for the, in my office, but um, the, the, doc, the one for the 11th doctor, because they don't make it anymore, was expensive. So he's like, I bought the 10th one, because they still make that one. And he's, you know, he's like, I'm happy with this, but he and I are driving the other day. And he's like, you know, Dad, I, I really like the 10th doctor, but I really wanted the 11th one, but it was so expensive on eBay. And uh, you know, I, I just got the 10th one. Now, what he, my son didn't know was that i had already i already knew that that's what he wanted so i had already done the hard negotiation and through my powers of persuasion um had secured the 11th doctor for him so he says this to me on monday and on tuesday night before dinner a box arrives with his name on it and he opens it up and it's the 11th doctor and I mean, he is losing his mind, right? He's so happy. I mean, he's just, he's, the kid's glowing. And you know how people, they say things, they're like, you know, it, you, you can't buy a smile like that. You know how people say things like that? Like, it turns out you can. It costs $12 plus shipping. That's how much it costs for a smile like that. And so, and now, but once again, it, it was the moment, right? It was the moment for him to believe that his dad was willing to move heaven and earth for him. Um, and, and here's the thing, and If I was willing to do that for him, how much more is his heavenly father seeking to do far beyond what he's even asking? You see, and the same thing is true for you, the same thing is true for me. Daniel is teaching us, this passage is teaching us that if God is willing to do even more than we ask, if we trust that he's good and live our lives like he's good. Last thing I want to tell you and then we're done, and that is this. That God wants us to be wise and informed. You see, one of the reasons that I love to teach Bible prophecy is because it's vital that we're informed. The Apostle Paul tells us, and we're going to dive into this next time for sure, that we shouldn't be ignorant when it comes to the coming of the Lord. But there's another reason. When King David had been anointed king of Israel, he hadn't taken the throne yet, because there was already another king. And it's always weird when you get anointed to be king and there's already another guy who has the job. So that created some problems. And the guy who was already king, whose name was Saul, was trying to kill David. But people saw that David was the true king of Israel. And so people started flocking to David. And we get in this passage in First Chronicles, Chronicles, a list of some of the people that would go over to serve militarily with David. And and we learn about one group that had this special skill. And here's what it says. It says, from Issachar, which is one of the tribes of Israel, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. You see, these guys, here's what it says about the men of Issachar, that they understood the times. And because they understood the times, they knew what to do. And I think we can all agree that sometimes we make bad choices because we don't understand the times. Sometimes we uh, give up too early because we don't understand the times. Sometimes we're filled with fear and anxiety and anger because we don't understand the times. That, my friends, now is the time for us to be like the sons of Issachar, to understand the times, to understand God's prophetic picture. And when you do, here's what's amazing that will happen. When you do, and you see what's happening in the world, you will feel less and less like things are out of control and more and more like things are moving in the direction that God said that they would. And so keep that in mind. Keep that in mind when you watch the news. Keep that in mind when you hear and you're like, man, these things that I never thought that I would see in my lifetime. That means this, that Jesus is on the way and that his return is closer than it's ever been. And now, listen, if you've been here for a while, I've been teaching this stuff for a long time. And if you were here in like 2001, you'd be like, you know, I've been hearing you say that Jesus is coming back since 2001. And let, well, let me tell you this. It's, right now, it's closer than it was in 2001, right? It's just, and, and so, all of this, all of this is happening so that God's people, Israel, will open their eyes and see Jesus as the Messiah so that God that Paul's prophetic promise in the book of Romans will be fulfilled when he says these words that all Israel will be saved and the church the church well that's our topic for next time let's pray together and so lord we want to thank you for your promise which is sure and so god we know that all these things are working together for good for those who love you and those who are called according to your purpose we're asking that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that lord we'd have a mind that understands and like the sons of issachar that they understood the times and knew what to do may that be said of us and we pray it in jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. thanks for listening to today's podcast If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.